Sentire Media. You are listening to the Latavola Marche Radio Network. Hello, good morning, and welcome to our podcast from Italy. Ciao tutti! I'm Jason. And I'm Ashley. And each week, well, let's be honest, it's not each week, but we try to put out a podcast from Italy, from our little farmhouse here in the Marche, as expats from the great US of A living here in a foreign land. So we talk about sometimes uh, what's going on, what we're growing, what we're cooking, what we're, um, what's happening. Absolutely. All right. Sixth take, you ready? Yeah, well, let's try this time. <laughs> okay. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving to all. Uh, it is the 29th of November, a beautiful Tuesday morning. Everything's frozen outside. We had a bit hard frost last night. There's ground fog sitting in the valley, but otherwise it's supposed to be sunny and cold. I just hope all of our uh, listeners out there survive Cyber Monday. Not quite sure what that is, but... Uh, my favorite part of the weekend was watching YouTube videos of people beating each other up to get Xboxes and cameras. That's crazy. But that has nothing to do with Italy. No. <laughs> so, what did we do last week? Oh my goodness. Last week, we had a busy week last week. Uh, we're getting back into the podcast mode, baby. This is two and two weeks, so um, we've got a lot to talk about because we are closing up the house and getting ready to have winter uh, have its tight grip on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that happened, uh, we got to go to Cartocheta. Where's Cartocheta? Yes! Well, Cartocheta is between the Apiani Mountains and the Adriatic Sea. Um, for us, it is about 45 minutes away um, along the coast of Tofano. And it is, we went there for a very special festival, and it was for the unearthing of Formaggio di Fossa, which is what translated? Um, cheese in a hole. Cheese, yeah. in a, cheese in a ditch. Cheese in a ditch, or cheese in a pit. And it's a stinky, stinky, very pungent cheese that is buried in August or September. Sheep's milk. And they also put a few other cheeses sometimes in the hole, but... Um, it's not considered fossa. Exactly. And <clears throat> there's many legends surrounding this cheese. And one is that they used to bury it to protect, um, to hide it, essentially, from enemies. So that way, when they were hungry, the farmers, they could have these um, deposits of food hidden deep, deep underground. So when enemy forces came through and sat and pillaged and plundered, they couldn't find the cheese. Another idea was that they didn't know how to uh, deal with all this extra milk from the cows, and so they came up with this way to preserve the milk with the cheese, and it just so happened that burying it... Some people think they knew what they were doing, uh, that it would cure so nicely and the flavors would change. However, many also think that it was a great surprise when they pulled it up months later and thought, oh my god. Well, the the cool thing about the cheese is it's not... They're all, they're not the same form. So mm-hmm. what they do is they take the fresh pecorino and they put it into these uh, these sacks. Yep. And um, they're, they're these long sacks. It almost looks like a uh, like a sock with, yeah. with like rocks at the bottom. Yeah, like a long stocking. And on a note with that, once they started doing these in villages to bury the cheese like this, they would, you would get a number um, and the details of what you had put in your sack. So that way it wasn't just one hole um, with one... Wheel of cheese. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Exactly. I thought they just b- buried one hole for each each little round of cheese. No, there's 
thousands of cheeses in this one big, huge hole. Exactly. Um, but what the cool thing is, is when they put the fresh cheese into the sacks, the cheese is very, very soft. And since they put like four or five we- uh, little rounds of these cheese in each sack, the bottom ones tend to get smushed and they have these different... Um, different shapes to them. Um, they all take on the outside, the, the texture of the sack that they're in. So they have this like, this like striations on the outside. It's, um, the best formage de fossa I had was at this festival we went to. Um, most of the time I've had it, it hasn't been right out of the pit. So it had much more of a, Mm -hmm. uh, stinky, pungent taste. This was stinky and pungent, but the cheese was really sweet and delicious. What I really liked with it also, um, was because there was the whole kind of lunch that they served, was the pasta. Because they cut the rich, rich creaminess of the cheese with orange. Orange peel, yeah. That was so delicious. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I know, but I can't help it. But, um, so they're buried in the ground in August, and then the pits are open for the Feast of St. Catherine on November 25th, or thereabouts. And, um, the pits that are made are created in the shape of a bottle, and it forms this microclimate, and they must be formed like this in like this for 10 years so the bacterias can be formed and I don't know the whole chemistry of it but all I know is these holes make for good stinky cheese it was delicious it and was really cool to go down there and look down it and see was. it and like all the different hays buried and there's some things about um, they'll burn some of the hay at different times which helps um, add to the flavor I don't quite know all of it but it was delicious. The only unfortunate part about, uh, and it says it in this article we were reading about it too, is that most of the forms of this type of cheese are p- produced in the industrial way, and only a small amount is made in this artisanal uh, uh, technique. Yeah, and right that's now. totally true, because from what I understand, Formaggio di Fossa is only found in Emilia Romagna and La Marca, and probably in Umbria, I would think, as well. But... Um, really interesting. So yeah, this is very unique to this area. And so if you come through here, you have to get real formaggio di fossa. Uh huh. Very very interesting. It was. Thing. Well, we've will... been here for four years, and that's the first time we've gone. To exactly, that, yeah. and it was one of the first cheeses of the area that we really tried. Besides, just it's just that this cheese is so strikingly different than the normal everyday pecorino that you have that it really leaves a lasting impression. A lot of people don't like it at all. <laughs> most of that's our, the lasting impression. The most of our neighbors were, oh, you guys, we should go to the we were, let's go to Cartagena. Is that what Gadji said? Yeah, ski frath, pizza. <laughs> thought it stinks and it's disgusting cheese so it's a particular thing i love if it smells like pits and feet i i i like it well it smells like a pit because it's been living in one it does i love walking in there it has that i don't know if you ever walk into like a a store with all the prosciuttos and the Mm -hmm. age stuff it just has that moldy musty musty smell Mm -hmm. i love it or or you go into a cantina it has that kind of like fushiani's warehouse too Absolutely. So that was a that was a great that was a ton of fun and uh, and I have to say some of the guests who have stayed here um, the family who invited us was the Beltrami family who many of you guys have gone to um, their meat and cheese kind of 
I wouldn't call it a little osteria, their little shop um, in Cartocheto when you've gone with Marco to a wine tour. So it was really nice to meet this family, and they were very welcoming, and they also produce olive oil and, um, like, a the fig salami, some very particular had, local I products. Some honey. Yeah, but it was but nice. It was fun. They had a little luncheon in the uh, olive press. Olive press, which was cool, too, because their olive press was different than the one that we went to last year because this olive press had those stacking plates. Uh, yes, but um, they, they look like it looks like a whole big long stack of. It's like um, an accordion upside, like right side up, or different. or a drum set that changed the <laughs> what is that called? Snare drum. Yeah, no, the cymbals. The cymbals. It looks okay. like a stack yeah, of cymbals. Yeah, yeah. But they still have the normal. They still have the stone and the centrifuges and all that. But you're right. I've never seen those stacking press things. No, and I wondered what part of the process do you put the who knows? Oh, they could or be that apples. Sh- or does it shake? The stuff clean off of it. I have no idea. I have you no idea asked. either. I didn't ask. I was too busy eating and drinking. <laughs> speaking of, <laughs> uh, speaking of eating and drinking, tis the season. <laughs> oh my god! It's officially kicked off. The, oh. the month and a half long of nonstop eating, drinking, and sweet stuff. It has officially begun uh, in Italy. I would say it officially began with our Thanksgiving party oh, because shit. we're going out of town and we won't be around for all of Christmas. So we threw this party at the end of thanks uh, for Thanksgiving, and then everyone started inviting us to dinner, saying, "Oh my God, you won't be here for Christmas! Come over, come over!" We've already started the lunch circuit, have we not? We have, and it's t- the time of year now where. Whenever you go over to someone's house, they're offering you cakes and, and sweet things, and, and the food is heavier. Everyone, yeah, it's not just a little, uh, oh, a little bruschetta, pan and pomodoro, no, nice and No, that's what it is in the, in the summer. summer. It's like, oh, would you like a, meat and cheese. a little meat and cheese with a glass of white wine or some fruit or, or something really light, and it's fine. No, lunch just consisted of two helpings each of Vinci Grassi. Oh, <laughs> with Marco's family, tons of roasted meats. Oh my gosh, and we were the only guests, so we had to eat. I, it's like we're pinching each other going, go back for more, go back for more. You don't want to, non offend, though. You know, it you was know. absolutely delicious. So Vinci Grassi is just um, the Marcacciani version of lasagna. It has, like, um, uh, livers in it. It's very, very rich. It has bechamel and a rich sauce. But with the thin pasta sheets, it's really great for, the, for this time of year. Um, you wouldn't. I would never have it in the summer. And uh, Marco's mom made a wonderful Vinci Grassi the other day for lunch. But then um, it's roasted meats and the um, the dessert, then desserts and and um, the then whole- fruit and nuts and tarone and uh, roasted chestnuts. And it's like holy crapola! Every meal that you go over to someone's house is like this because that is what you do. And I would do the same thing when people come over to my house. It's just, it's winter. It's too much food now. But eating like that twice a week, it's the season of ingrassare. We are, it's butter, it's meat. No, there's not butter. It's just heavy, heavy, well, heavy food, heavy food. And, um... A 180-degree change from just like a month ago, right? Yes, and it doesn't quite help if we're going to be on vacation at the beach. No, not really. Not, not serve really. for a beach body. Speaking <laughs> of beach bodies, I got myself a sausage maker. 
<laughs> a meat grinder. That's a good segue. <laughs> so uh, at this luncheon that we went to it, with Marco, who does the wine tours, his family, um, we were telling him how we wanted to get a meat grinder and this machine that you stuff the sa- make used to stuff the sausages. And he said, "Well, how about that? His next door neighbor, this this older lady whose husband passed away recently." Um, had one in her garage because her husband loved to do this as well. He had a passion for making sausages and salamis. And I was like, great. So we walked over next door and knocked on the door. And this tiny little lady, like, I love these type of uh, older ladies in Italy with the, like, working man's hands. And they're really stout. And, like, um, she wasn't fat, but she was, like, like she can move some... Uh, she was tough and um, with the house coat, with the house coat on, and she, uh, you know, come in, come in, come in, and we started talking to her, and she took us around and showed us this. Um, I'll have to, we'll put a picture up on it of what it is. It's a uh, this piece of steel, like a steel bar, mounted to it is a hu- a big um, electric motor with a wheel on it with a belt that drives a transmission that has another belt that drives a. Uh, meat grinder, and you turn it on, and you pass the meat through this machine that grinds it up and spits it out, and then I have another machine that you stuff the meat into, and then turn a crank, and it pushes it so you can, pushes it through a nipple so that you can stuff, make sausages and salamis. This is not a small working machine. It it's homemade. Over, it's, it's homemade, homemade. and it could take up a small table. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, huge. It's, it is, weighs a ton. And it's not just like the little uh, hobby kit version. No, no, no. This is probably made in the 50s. It probably... Oh, it looks it. It looks it. It's really, really <laughs> old. So she took us out into this their barn, and we go in there, and in the corner is all this stuff, and it's, you know, totally rusted over, and... Uh, we plug it in, and it works, and all the equipment's there. You know, it's rusty, and it needs a good cleaning, and it'll probably work for another 15 years. But it's it's definitely not new, and it no. definitely needs a ton of work to get to get where it needs to be. What year do you think she bought it? <laughs> what year do I think they made it? I would say they probably, from the looks of everything, probably in the 60s-ish. All right, all right. I would say the last time it was used was probably five, ten years ago, probably. Smash cut to this year is 2011. Smash cut to 2011. <laughs> uh, I tell her, how much do you want for all this stuff? I'll buy it today. How much would you like for it? She goes, I don't know. I have no idea what it's worth. I go... Well, I understand. I don't know what it's worth either. I don't want to offend you. You tell me how much you want for it, and then we'll go from there. So uh, Marco's here, and he's mediating the whole thing. He goes, well, why don't we call – we know the most expensive part is the actual meat grinder itself. So let's call and see what that part costs new because it's in um, it's in pewter. It's like this big, nice piece of equipment. Uh, let's see what that costs. So we call the uh, – <laughs> I know this story's going on forever. We call the um, – the hardware. hardware store in town. By the way, she had a rotary phone <laughs> with the brown, the brown braided cord that goes like, you know, it wasn't the regular phone cord that has the plastic and clear. This was brown braided cord that plugged into the uh, thing. Um, the phone was straight out of like 1958. It was awesome. Well, I think she got the phone right before they made the meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we call the place. They say, okay, that machine brand new is 200 euro without the motor. Okay, that's fine. So we say, all right, the new one's brand new is 200 euro without the motor, but the motor is from God knows what. It looks like he took it off a car and whatever. 
So she goes, all right, well, my thing comes with all this extra stuff. It just doesn't come with the meat grinder. 200 euro it is. <laughs> and me and Michael kind of look at each other and we go, well, okay. Um, well, thank you. I, I didn't know what to say. I'm not going to start negotiating. from two, I, I thought I was going to give her 50 bucks to be a nice guy <laughs> and take it on home. Like, I thought 50 euro was more than fair for this kind of thing. So, um... She goes, we look, and she could tell we thought it was too much. So she looks at us and goes, well, 180, I guess. It's still good. And it's like, <laughs> I guess it's still good. So I didn't know, I don't want to argue with her. So I just say, thank you. Well, she goes, well, what were you thinking? I thought, well, obviously we're not even in the same ballpark. So I said, I'll pay, uh, you know, 100 euro, I'll take it right now. Because seriously, this equipment, brand new, all this equipment is probably 400 euro. So you figure this is... 50 years old. A little elbow grease, but... <laughs> a quarter of the price. Anyway, uh, and she goes, no, no, no. This Look at this. This thing is 200 euro brand new. 200 euro brand new. And look at all the other things it comes with. It comes with all the other things. So I say, no, thank you, and we put it all back. Well, it turns out, three days later, she calls Marco and says, <laughs> maybe 100 euro... I don't know who she talked to. I don't know either. But maybe 100 euro is okay. I think she realized the door was not getting a... Yeah, no one was beating down the door no. for this uh, pile of junk in the corner. But I probably overpaid by 50 euro, but I get a good story out of it. Yes. And I have to say, I like the belts. Yeah. We'll I like have... that it's really big and you see all the workings. I'm curious... I'm cu- it feels like it's going to make a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, it does make a fairly loud noise. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but anyway, we'll take a picture and we'll throw it up online so you guys can see this freaking all all the stuff that I bought. It's uh, it's quite the quite the uh, machinery. So, how many kilos of meat do you think we'll do? We're we, gonna have a huge party. We're gonna have a huge sausage making party in the uh, towards the end of January. Sausage salami making, and we're gonna make all our salamis and sausages for the year. I think we made 65 kilos of salami and sausages last year, and it was gone by August. I would say at least 100 kilos of the two. For just us. Just for us. And then Teresa will want to take some, Lude, Gaji, Vittorio, Carolyn. We'll see. We'll probably have to do it over a few different times. I don't Uh know if you can do that all in one time. That's going to work that modern machine. That it will. (laughs) So we'll keep you updated on the... State of cleaning of the, uh... I think Jason secretly wants Gaji to take it to his house and... Do it for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know, he would do it all. But when he, uh, I knew when he opened the trunk and saw it, he goes... This is even better. This is even better. Because goes, Gaji always says, don't throw anything away. Don't throw anything away. Why buy it new if you get a good used one? You know, don't, never... Th- he, he's, he's straight... He's pulling nails out of boards and straightening them. Yeah. So when he opens it, he goes, hmm, that's old. <laughs> Wow! If Gachi says that's all, then that's got some that's got some years to it. But it'll it'll come out. It'll come out. It will. Speaking of Gachi, speaking of Gachi, hard day. Gachi had a tough day yesterday. (laughs) Oh my god! Gachi, as you know, is the doctor who's a doctor who's adopted us uh, and his wife Rosanna, and they live here in they live near Piobico, and then they he's also a cardiologist, and he has a house in Fano where his practice was. But Gaji loves to hunt. He goes hunting almost every day with his dog, Tom. Tom. Well, we should start with the phone call because I don't know if I uh, either misinterpreted what he said or if he did phone call back because 
Yes, but then seven, some, six something, seven in the morning, we get a phone call, and it's Gaji, and he sounds all kind of out of breath and weird, but he's like, is Jason home? And I said, yes, and he, <laughs> I thought he said, can I pass? Meaning, can I pass by? And I said, sure, and hung up the phone. Later, I realized, I think he said, can I, meaning actually pass the phone, <laughs> like, uh, instead of Pulposare, can I pass uh, by your house? Ha- Pulposare, can I pass by? I think he said, Poi Passare, can you pass? Meaning the phone. And I didn't get it. So really, he's asking me to pass the phone to Jason. And I just go, sure. And I hang up on him. <laughs> so then he calls back again. And is like, no, I need to talk to Jason. And he lost Tom. He lost the dog. I don't know how he, he lost the dog. He was up in the hills about a kilometer and a half or two kilometers away from the house in the hills hunting. And uh, it happens a lot with, um, with the dogs, especially with the um, uh, rabbit dogs and the uh, uh, dogs for the boar because they, they you know, they're searching and searching and the, the, um, you walk behind them, but sometimes they just get separated. It's never happened with Tom, though, but you could... Zagaji told me told me he lost Tom, and you could hear it in his voice. He was he was a little worried, and and um... so we jumped in the car, and we we're like, "All right, we're on it." What the hell? If anyone's been out here, this is straight up country hills, a few dirt roads. I don't know how, unless the dog is running along the side of the road, how we are going to find him. Some of it's straight woods, and we're just screaming, Tom, Tom, out the car window. Don't forget the funniest part. Well, then we run out of gas. We have to turn around and go home. (laughs) We do this for about 15 minutes, and it's like, oh, shit, the light is on. We have no gas. We're way up in the hills on this tractor road. Looking for a dog, and then soon they're going to be looking for us. Soon they're going to be looking for us. We're in slippers. I have slippers and pajama pants and a jacket. And uh, so it's like, damn. So we we come out of the hills and we go all the way back to town and get gas. In the slippers. In the slippers. We go, see the electrician. See the electrician. God, she calls. Where are you? Where are you? Yeah, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. Looking, we're looking. We're deep in the woods. Deep in here looking for tall. Turn around. Go back up into the hills. Um, scream, scream, scream. Long story short, we're coming back and going towards the house. And um, there's Tom. Running through the, uh... Well, long story short, you cut out about three hours of the search. (laughs) So, long story short, it was a long freaking morning. And we were kicking ourselves for when we stopped to get gas, that we didn't stop to get a snack and some pastries for the car ride. Because then we were starving as we're looking for Tom. Then... We find the dog. We find the dog. We bring Tom on back. We make some coffee. We light the fire in oh, the kitchen. All the while, our cell phone, we've used up our oh, credit. Shit. <laughs> we have no more money on the cell phone, so we can't use it anymore. So we don't have a house phone. So basically, we can't even get a hold of the we doctor. We can't get a hold of the doctor to tell him we have his dog. But we see our neighbor, and we ask him to call the doctor and let him know that we have his dog. So we're making coffee, and we're sitting there hanging out. Now, when you don't have any more credit, you can still receive incoming calls for a little bit, but you just can't make calls. So the phone rings, and, I'm t- and, I, and I answer it, and it's the doctor. Well, shit, he got his car coming out of the hills because he has this little, tiny, think of this tiny, tiny, little, little car, but with four-wheel drive and, and knobby tires. And they all the hu- old men hunters use these little, little Fiat Pandas from 15, 20 years ago uh, to go into the mountains for hunting. They're light, right? They're really, really light. They have tiny little engines, four-wheel drive, and they'll go up a side of a, a side of a mountain. They're in, it's incredible where they take these cars. I think you might have to be 65 or older to drive one. Yes, because they only go <laughs> top speed is like 
I would say 50, 60 miles an hour. They're really, but they're built, they're built for what they do. They do really well. But the problem is that they're tiny, so they have tiny wheels. So it, when the uh, bigger four-wheel drives go into the hills, mm-hmm. they make these big ruts in the, in the dirt roads. And when they fill up with water, you can't tell if this rut is two inches deep or, you know, a foot and a half deep. Well, the doctor didn't know he went to the foot and a half deep one and high centered the car right in this big, like, water freaking little mini lake thing. And he calls me, he goes, uh, bring the, he calls me, he goes, I need some tools, I'm stuck in the mud. Bring the chainsaw and the pickaxe and a shovel and, uh, Come up into the hill. I have no... I really don't know where he is. He says, I'm above where we've been looking, this place called Cabartoli. Um, Up in the hills, when you get to the end of the road, just start climbing into the hill. <laughs> climbing up into the top of the hill on this mud road. And, and remind you, Jason has no way to recontact the doctor. I have no way to recontact the doctor other than to scream for him. So what I did is I brought Tom. So I figured if Tom will smell him, and figure out where, he, where where the doctor is. So I'm lugging a pickaxe, a shovel, and a uh, <laughs> a pickaxe, a shovel, a um, chainsaw, chainsaw, and a big knife up this mud mud uh, road. And Tom finds them. We find them. So at least just changed out of the slippers. <laughs> changed out of the slippers. We jack the car up. We throw stones underneath the tires. We because uh, it's just mud. You can't like dig it out. It's just mud. So we put stones underneath the tires to raise the whole car itself, which was an ingenious idea. I didn't think of doing that. Huh. That's He knew it the whole time. I guess he's done this before. <laughs> but he didn't need me for anything other than to lift the giant freaking <laughs> stones to put underneath the tires. You're his mule. I was mule. But it was interesting. We did it. And uh, we got out and had some coffee and away he went. But The poor guy... He was just planning to go into the woods for he was like, like an hour. Yeah, he was like, I wanted to be back by nine because I wanted to, uh, I needed to get back to Fano and we're sitting there having coffee. It's like one thirty. I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit, the whole morning. This ordeal started at 7 a.m. Uh, and that's when he called us. Who knows how long he had been this, looking this for This is him. true. This is true. So that's a day in the life. That was yesterday. Oh my God. And, and he didn't even shoot anything. Nope. They did not. They did not do <coughs> shoot. He didn't get anything. It's been a terrible year for hunting this year. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of water around here, so I think still not. Still, we haven't had a lot of water, so I think the anim- an- animals animals pieced out. Um, oh, another thing that we did last week the uh, the beans. True. We um, went down and visited near Ostra, near Marco, um, just inland from Ancona, if you're looking on a map, which is on the Adriatic. There is um, a small town that we visited where they are producing a very special bean called Solfino. And it is an ancient bean that was becoming extinct and kind of a university uh, program. Consorci- a consortium. Yeah. Um, researched and what would you say? They brought this bean back to life. What was the guy? The guy was telling us that, um, I forget who he said, someone in his family or someone he knew found, they were cleaning out a barn or something and found this sack of like a handful of beans. And um, they knew them of these sulfino beans. They call them sulfino because their their uh, skins are this yellowy white, kind of like a sulfury yellowy white. Um, they're very creamy. They're very hard to grow. They're very delicate. I um, so hard to grow that they were found also in Tuscany called zolfino with, with a, a Z. Z. And what was so funny was 
they were thinking, why is this so hard to grow in Tuscany? Ah, let us bring farmers from the Marche. They know how to grow this bean. So they brought Marche farmers to Tuscany. At least this is what we say in the Marche, what the stories we've heard here. (laughs) And then the bean was able to grow. But it's only being grown by this one One, um, farm here in the Marche. They started out with a handful of beans, and then the first year uh, they grew them, and then they had like five kilos, and then after that it was like 20 kilos, and this year they produced 400 kilos. And we have two of them. But their problem in the producing of it is the shell is so delicate and fragile, like a, like a, not a green. The pod. Like a pod. The pod is so gentle. Um, and the skin on the bean. Exactly. So it's not even as hard as like a fava or broad bean no. from the sound of it. That they couldn't have the machines go through to pick the beans. So they do it all by hand. And we came in to this old warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And sure enough, there's five ladies cleaning pods and beans and separating all the beans apart. But we are really excited and proud to say that we'll start growing them this spring ourselves. We bought two kilos of them. So we'll pass them out to our neighbors and uh-huh. friends and when we trade all our seeds. And hopefully, before you know it, uh, Solfino beans will be growing all over the Candeliano Valley. And served here. And they were saying um, best served just two spoonfuls, drizzle of olive oil. They only serve two spoonfuls because these beans cost 28 euro a kilo. So The price of a bisteca Fiorentina. It's the same <laughs> price as bisteca Fiorentina. So... That's why you get two spoonfuls <laughs> of these beads. But we'll, I'm very interested to mm-hmm. see what they taste like. Um, they're supposed to be, you know, they always talk, they always describe all these things. It's really funny when you buy things like uh-huh. um, beans or flour or... The pride. Uh, yeah, the inanimate objects, how they describe them with these, the creamy body and co- and they, they make it sound like a woman, how they describe it. Well, and I just like it that the, just like at the Beltrami thing we were at for the cheese, uh, Vittorio Beltrami, the patriarch, comes out to thank everyone for coming and whatnot, and he starts talking about the pasta in particular, and saying how the first pasta makers were from the Marque, and I, I don't know thinking, if that's and true. And I the same thing, and I was like, oh, really? That's incredible how passionate and how wonderful. And I thought, wow, what a blog post and everything. And then I started thinking, I have no proof that this is true. <laughs> this could just be the rantings of a proud Marco Gianni. <laughs> Excuse the noise, I had to put wood in the stove, in the wood stove. Yes, so their their love of the inanimate object, becoming like a woman and very sensual and everything, and the pride that the only, it must be made here. It must be, but... Um, and better if it is. So yes, very excited. We'll get those in the garden for in the, April. When in we April, plant? we plant them in April, um, and I think they climb. They're climbing beans. Oh, and speaking of the garden, I don't know if we had already done this last podcast, but we got the rest of the stuff in the garden for the winter, right? The garlic. Oh yeah, I don't know if we talked about that. Yeah, we put fava down. We put garlic down. Uh, anything else? No. And now we're gonna we're leaving soon for vacation, so we are not gonna throw the manure on until the spring. Don't tell. Don't tell anyone. Um. Speaking of garden things, I think we know who the pumpkin eater is. <laughs> People have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Well, you've been about. following the, the blog and everything. We had a mass eating of our pumpkins and ugly squash. And even since, even more recently, we've had some pumpkins uh, decorating the outside of the house. Big, beautiful, yellow pumpkins and orange pumpkins. And we'll come out, and there's these weird... Uh, ravaged chunks out of the side. Like a quarter gone of it. Yeah, 
and it, but it's not like it was broken open. It's like it was yeah. gnawed at. Yeah, he ate, he ate a quarter every night. Yeah, but you're thinking, what kind of animal is doing this? So they weren't the bites of a deer. It, the, a cat doesn't eat. He doesn't eat that. A wolf, which P.S. They're still out there. They are not eating it. Last night, I'm come outside. A humongous tasso is in the front yard beelining it. Dun, dun, dun. No one knows what a tasso is. So, a tasso is what? <laughs> I don't even know. It's this ugly... It's like a massive like, possum Yeah, like you would, you would compare it to a possum in the States. Totally worthless, ugly. Like, what does a tasso do? No, it's a tasso. T-A-S-S-O. Tasso, um, they eat the melons. Oh, well, I don't know what that means. We we just typed in Tasso. I think it is some sort of Wolverine-esque. If you look at the picture, it's got a long nose. Um, what would you call that? A possum? A badger. A badger? I think it's like a badger. It's got a striped face. Kind of the face of a skunk. Yep, and a black front and then a brownish backside. What would you call a tasso? I don't know because I'm not that familiar with these kind of animals even in America. But let's just say it was humongous. Ugly. Ugly. Couple good good twenty pounds. I don't know, you saw it. I'm gonna say thirty or forty. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Go up. What's this? <laughs> of course you are. I once caught a fish this big. So yeah, so we know who ate all our stuff. He needs to be shot. I don't think you can eat him or anything. No, and I don't have a gun. So. Oh, and I think he probably has been eating my chickens. You think he's been eating your chickens? I'm going to blame him for everything. <laughs> I heard thought- that, actually, I did hear that the tassos are what will come and eat your chickens' heads off. <laughs> which that happened. <laughs> I actually thought someone was sneaking into our chicken coop and stealing one or two chickens uh, once or twice a week. It would be smart if you were uh, a mountain man. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. So, with the... Speaking of being a mountain man, what else? Uh, let's see, what else is going on? Um, we're a mount- you're a mountain man. Yes. Getting ready for um, the... Winter. Winter. Oh, we have to talk about something, because we were just talking about this with our friends, uh, Luke and Carolyn, about things you don't realize until you live out here when looking for a house. This is a good one. If you're going to move to the countryside, position of the house compared to the the uh, the sun. Sun. How does the sun? Where does the sun where's rise the and light? fall? Where's the light? Because if you don't get sun during the winter, your house is freezing. We almost bought a mill instead of um, this farm. That's house. why we were talking yeah, about this. Yeah, and we had never. We did not grow up in agricultural families. We had never. I don't know. You live in a city. You're not thinking about the position of the sun and to warm your house. To warm your house and a few other things we'll talk about too. But especially the sun and this mill was deep in. A valley, a, a gorge, like yeah. a little gorge, which was very cool. So you're thinking, okay, water. You think about, and you think, okay, we'll have access to water, but you're not thinking about the light. And when you live out here in the countryside, it's getting dark by four thirty. The sun doesn't um, rise as high. So I don't know. That was just something we were talking about. What else? Uh, a water plan, both to get rid of the water and to get the water. Yes. Um, no one made a water plan at our house. So when it rained. Well, 
when it rains, um, the water, even though the water just turns into these rivers, like it could be, it, you could have made it so it comes off the driveway in such a way that it, you just take it straight to the little creek that runs behind the house. But instead, it runs down the driveway in front of our place and makes a giant lake in front of the doorway to our little place. So there was no water plan. Also, it runs straight down the driveway, taking all the rocks with it. Yes. Well, the guys, when they fixed the driveway last year, helped. Helped by putting the thing. But you need to put a cut every, like, 20 meters with a grate that, so when the water, the wa- you can take the water away instead of making a river of water down the driveway. These are just things you don't think about. Or, we don't, we have the, the well, so we don't have, we're not on the city water. No, uh, water, if you're not on city water, thank goodness we have a wet, we have two wells, so... Because we were talking about what if you had to have water delivered? And then Luke and Carolyn were telling us about someone who they know who delivers water and does it for whole damn towns. How much water would that be? I have no idea. But the, the anyway, Sar- so where's he getting it from? The Sardanians um, on top in our valley. There's these uh, family of Sardanians who live on top of this ridge. So, so if you're coming down Candeliano, they would live on the. If you're coming down Candeliano towards, towards our, our house, house, they would live on the left hand side on the top of the ridge when it splits the road. Um, and they still do, they still don't have water yet. Um, even though it's been you know the rainy season has gotten here, they're still having to buy water. So. We're very lucky that we have wells that produce water that we're sitting kind of at the base of a little mount, you know, a little hillside that it, it, there's always water that runs by. Um, other things to think about when by when that we would never have thought about before. Um, how about it took us a year to realize exposed pipes equal frozen tubes. <laughs> That's a good one. Insulate, insulate everything. You don't think about, oh, where my water is coming from will affect how it arrives at the house. Because our first whole winter, I think, part of it is that when you're looking for a house in Italy, you're so in love with this idea of sunflowers and sunny days and, oh, warm Mediterranean that you don't think about the gritty, hard, cold facts of winter and how to heat your house, how to bring the water and all of those things. I think, well, here's the problem, too. We never grew, I grew up in California, you grew up in Seattle. You just turn a switch on? Well, not only do you just turn a switch on, but we don't have the the cold, cold winters. No. There was no reason for, I mean, in California, maybe once or three times a year, you'd see frost on the grass in the morning. There just wasn't that... That and in Seattle too, maybe once a year you guys get snow if you're lucky. So we didn't have to think about oh well if the sun doesn't you know <laughs> if you don't have any sunlight no. in the winter you're you're how you will stay cold forever. That was seventy two degrees in December sometimes. So I just, I just didn't think about it. I think about how it's got to kill my freaking family that they would yell at us. Put on some damn clothes. It would be freezing outside, and we'd be running around in shorts, and just turn up the thermostat. And my dad would come home and be so pissed. And we thought, what? Just turn on the thermostat. Just turn up the heat. And he's like, just put on some clothes. Now, I think, oh my gosh, we have on our shearling uh, slippers and sweats, and we've got the fire going, and how much you haul wood. And I can't even imagine if you could just turn on a switch. And also, I think living in these houses in the winter make me think about castles and how did they heat stone? Because we have a stone little farmhouse and a, a big stone farmhouse and a little cottage, cottage that we live in, and the it's co- stone. 
The cottage only has a the um, wood stove to heat it. And a little pot belly. The good thing about well, we've said it a hundred times. The good thing about stone is in the summer it's nice and cool. In the winter it's also nice and cold. <laughs> if you can keep the heat on it, the stone is great because like a stone oven or fireplace, you heat it up and the stone retains the heat. But take off for a couple of days and then come home. Uh, oh, how about man. just come home, go to dinner. And you've been out all day, go shopping, and you've been out all day, you come home after eight, and it's, uh, see your breath cold in the and house. And wet. The stone likes to hold the water, too. Mm-hmm. So, when you light the stove, in the, the wood stove in the morning and get it going and just keep throwing a log or two here and there, it's great. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's still colder than we keep, we would keep our apartment or house in the States, definitely. Mm-hmm. But at least my nose isn't cold constantly anymore. This is true. This is true. We've acclimated. We have acclimated. Now we're like, oh, it's, not, it's barely cold. Well, my favorite story, and I know we've said it, but just speaking of the cold, is that one of the first winters, I thought the fridge broke. And I said, oh my God, Jason, come here. Something's wrong with the fridge. I opened it and it felt warm in there. And he said, Ash, that's not the problem. It's colder outside the fridge than it is inside the fridge. And from that moment on, we started uh, just... Leaving everything on the counter. <laughs> but that is such a weird paradox to wrap your head around. We go, oh, oh, no, no, it's just well, colder. We here. don't heat the main house in the winter. We can't afford to, and it'd be a total waste of energy because no one's in there, and we just use the kitchen. So we'll light the fireplace in the kitchen. But if you don't like that fireplace or have that fireplace going every day, it gets cold quick. Yep. Drafty, too. Yep. None of the windows really fit the holes that were made for them. They're all... In the countryside, you have to get all your windows hand uh, handmade because there's no standard size. It's a stone, so it, it's kind of about what it's supposed to be. So, and, and, and the, the windows about <laughs> kind of fit. <laughs> and as beautiful as an arch is in the kitchen, there's no door to close it. So we hang massive plastic tarp, which Jason, it reminds me of being in a meat locker on that side. But it keeps in the warm air in from the fireplace, which is So nice. it doesn't go into the dining room mm-hmm. because it's, it's, that's what you just have to do. So if you just have, if you close off the little kit, if you close off our kitchen... Um, with plastic sheeting, it's like you're gonna, <laughs> it's like you're in a meat locker or you're gonna kill someone. But at least it stays warm. It stays warm. It's but good. these are the, uh, this is what being a mountain man and, uh, in the winter is. That's damn straight. It is. Damn straight! Alright, coming up, we have just a little bit time left before we leave. Um, we went to go renew our, uh, health cards. I forgot to talk about this. Um, we went to go renew our health cards. We talked last week about getting our, um, Permeso, our, our permission to stay cards, um, and they came with three months left before they expired. Um, so we went to go get our health cards renewed, our state state health care, and she said, well, I can't give it to you because your, permeso, your permission to stay card expires at the end of the year. And we said, e- yeah, but it's still valid now. She goes, I know, but you just have to go get the receipt for the new one that you're going to be issued, and then I'll give you your health card. But she had a few other things she needed, too. That's yes. what was ironic. <laughs> and it's like, well, we're leaving on vacation for a couple weeks, so we're, we can't go get our health, you know, we can't go get the, per, the the receipt for the permission to stay. It's this whole thing. It's like you need one document to get the other. Well, and what's funny on that is the permission to stay, you need so many documents to prove that uh, we are who we say we are and our, uh, why we are allowed to stay here, that that 
um, receipt. Just like getting a passport. Yeah, but that receipt should be fine because essentially all the documents she told us to bring are documents that are needed to support getting this card to begin with. That the state so has if approved. You didn't get, if you didn't have those documents, you could never get this card, the permission to stay. So it's one of these things where it's just like, oh my God, tons of paperwork, lots Why of stamps. You, lots of stamps. A lot of stamping and A lot and of signatures. stamping and a lot of signing and a lot of... Oh, man. Then I told her, I don't understand. Our card just came. <laughs> this is my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. I was telling her, this is, I go, I'm smiling. I go, I'm smiling because um, it's very funny to me that this card just came, just arrived, and it's expiring in three months, and we can't even use it to get our our new health card. She goes, your situation is not unique. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that, too. She just like she just nonchalant. She's like, you're not unique. Don't worry. She's like, I know you're not unique. I just loved it. I did too. I did too. Um, so that's it's. You gotta laugh. I don't really care. If I really fall down and break my head, they will see me. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Oh, well, I went to the emergency room that's and they didn't check thing. anything. They asked for my passport, but I don't. I think they looked at. They didn't ever write a passport number or anything like that down, and. That was it. They never asked for my carta sanitaria or anything, so it's you a, never know. You never know out here. Um, bah, 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 bah. Next weekend, the first weekend of December, kicks off all of the holiday festivals here in Italy, so um, I'll be posting on the blog the Eating Your Way Through the Holidays in La Marque. Uh, I think on December 1st or the 30th of November, I'll post that. And one of the first festivals to come up is a beautiful one that we went to last year, the um, Candle Festival, remember? The Candela, where the entire town... Oh, yeah, they turn on all the lights and everyone lights candles. Yeah, it's really pretty. pretty. So I have another post getting ready to go for that as well. But that's going on, um, if anyone is in the Marque listening, the first and second weekends of uh, December outside of Pesaro. Um, Continuing the... um Parade of lunches. We have another one to go to ah, on Thursday. This will be good. This is a good one. Though. Elastic waistband. This is the maestro, uh, mm. the doctor who calls this man the maestro, the maestro of fish. He, Daniele. Uh, Daniele. He now does, they bought a sailboat and they do sailing fish lunches um, out of Fano. And we went there three times. We've done lots of posts about it. But anyway, he's hosting a uh, lunch at his house. So we are... Strap on the feedback. Very <laughs> excited. I'm sure it will be absolutely delicious. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking that... What do we bring? What do you bring? Uh, um, whenever we whenever we went to go have fish on the boat, we'd always bring meat, like sausages and salami, because mm-hmm. they say they hate, they don't want to touch fish. Exactly. Um, I'm going to bring him some jars of tomatoes. All right. I'm all going right. to bring him some onions from the garden. Very good. Uh, stuff like that. Okay. Because what do you bring? What do you bring the guy a bottle of wine? I don't know. That's always the hard thing. We're going to bring him the same bottle of wine that you know local mm-hmm. wine. Um, you can bring him some of your homemade uh, Ooh, I can make, Yeah, some brunole, perhaps. Or some... Um, You've always has to, you always have to come bearing something if you've been invited to lunch. So oh, absolutely. This starts the discussion of, what do we bring? <laughs> or do we just bring a plant? Are we that guy? No, do not just bring the plant. I don't like the plant. <laughs> um, wow, our longest podcast yet. You think everyone hung out for the 46 minutes and 28 seconds? I wouldn't have. <laughs> All right, throw out our information. All right.
right. Thank you for listening. You can find us at latavlamarque.com, latavlamarque.blogspot.com, latavlamarquerecipebox.blogspot.com, and on Twitter and on Facebook at latavlamarque. So, how do you spell it? L A T A V O L A M A R C H E, latavlamarque. All right, very good. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a pleasure. We're going to get to work now. And um, what what are we doing today? What's the plans? It's Tuesday. We're leaving in We're a week. We're getting ready to head into town. Heading to town. Fushiani, to... it's the porchetta truck. It's Tuesday. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, what? We're not trying I'm to I'm not that? eating porchetta Shoot. Today. Sorry. Okay, my bad. I am, I am going to clean up the outdoor kitchen. We're going to secure all doors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got to do a little... Uh, into town, we need some credit for our phone because we're totally out of credit. Oh, and I'm on dinner duty, so oh yes, <laughs> I forgot. I know. Okay. I don't even want to talk about. We'll it. attach this to the end. So I said, uh, um, I make, I cook all the, I cook dinner oh. for us all the time. Ashley never, never, never cooks. I said, you know, I know you're really um, self conscious about it, and she doesn't like it when I hang out if she's going to cook something. I said. This week, where there's nothing going on, and it's just the two of us, and it's really simple, why don't you just make dinner, simple dinner, until next Tuesday? Oh, okay, but let's just stop right there. From going from nothing except for a bowl of cereal, it was my dinner, to making dinner for a week straight, panic sets in immediately. The panic sets in immediately. There's always some tears. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot, because I'll say, oh my god, I gotta start looking up recipes. And I tell her, you don't need a recipe, just make something simple. I'm... I'm not saying she has to produce four courses. All I'm saying, like last night, for instance, your first dinner. But had awesome. a recipe with a recipe. That's fun, though. You made tomato bean soup. Uh-huh. Potato. Potato bean soup. Tomato and potatoes. And viduri gratinata, vegetables in the oven with breadcrumbs over them. Perfect. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. However, I cried. However, <laughs> Ashley had to cry. There were still tears involved. Why do you cry? Because you come in with the look. You come in looking to stir a little shit. No, you know okay. it. You know it. Here's what I did. I, I made this um, um, eggplanty thing the night before, so there was some of it left, so I thought, oh, that would go good to it. Did you together. think that, or did you? Yeah, think- I liked it. It was I good. Have it was just <laughs> stewed eggplant. So I was like, oh, that will go good with some soup and some vegetables. Ashley's like, so you brought that out just in case this is unedible? No. What did you say? What did you no, say? No, let's back it up. You said, what is that? You <laughs> <laughs> was like, USOB, there's bowls and spoons. You know it's soup. What do you mean? What is that? <laughs> no, no, no. I like how there was tears, though. That was hysterical. Well, let's wait till tonight. More will flow. <laughs> it's a whole other dinner. <laughs> Oh my god. Here's so the, on that note, I'm, on, I'm, I'm starting to sweat already. <laughs> oh my god. But this is from Ashley who said the other had said a couple of weeks ago that since it gets dirty dirty, since it gets dark at four thirty, five o'clock now, she wants to see some movement in the kitchen about five fifteen. Yes, I would, I would. It's early bird specials. No, no, this dinner at eight and beyond. Uh, come 6.30, we better be wrapping dinner up. <laughs> oh, my God. So we'll let you know next podcast how the tears, the tears, the sweet tears of... Uh, and if I really fulfill. Oh, you I'm, you, you have to. You have to. I'm, it's a challenge. All right. <laughs> Very good. Have All a right. great day, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you soon. Ciao.
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.